I would love Oli to stay. <laughs> Are you, you know, know why? Because as long as he stays, United aren't that yeah. much of a threat. You know what? That was the first game that really finished me off, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, that was the first game. That was the game that finished me off. Sandfields. Oh, <laughs> I, I keep hearing that. Oh, it's Anfield. It's not my fault if you can't fill your stadium, in it. It's not my fault. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Tell them. Tell them. The Breakdown Podcast. Before we get into it, we just want to say thank you for everyone who's listened, liked, you know, commented, engaged. Um, you can find us at TFSUP um, on Twitter, on Instagram. This is the Breakdown Podcast, also available on audio, Spotify and Apple. Everywhere you find your podcast, we're there. I'm back, episode 12. Three of us here today. We lost Marky to a, <laughs> an injury. A last minute injury in the warm up, but we welcome Jay back. <laughs> yeah. Welcome Jay back. Bro. You get me, yeah. Back, back from minute. international break. <laughs> back from international break, bro. Welcome, welcome. We miss you, man. Bro, I miss you guys too, man. Glad to be back. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That's it. That's it. Obviously, in honor of Marky, he's he conveniently left us when Ollie's left. You know. Yeah. Uh-huh. <sighs> what it is, you know. Someone's got to do it anyway. Kofi, bro, what are you saying? And yeah, no, I'm good, man. I'm good, man. Another another strong performance from, from my team this weekend. So yeah, I'm kind of sitting pretty, pretty comfortably in all the rest of it. But nah, it's been a it's been a mad weekend full of goals, drama, you know, managerial changes, you know, departures and arrivals and all the rest of it to talk about. So yeah, man, let's get into it. You know, like that. Trust me, bro. What are you saying, Big J, you're back. I'm back. Um, good international break. Um, scored a lot of goals, <laughs> but um, not so strong for my team. But nothing new there. Uh, and I found out that Tony Hibbert is back in football in France. So there's a <laughs> little one for you. <laughs> Mad. He, Mad. Tony Hibbert. Tony Hibbert's come out of retirement. So watch this space. There you go. <laughs> There you go, there you go. That's why we missed you, bro. Um, <laughs> little, little, little nuggets, bruv. Trust yeah. me, bro. Trust me. The Breakdown Podcast. It's been it's been coming. It's been coming. We even abandoned it. <laughs> we even abandoned it, bro. We stopped talking about it, bro, because what was the point? You know the ones, but it's it's here now. It's here now. So he's been put out of his misery, man. Exit interview and everything. Yeah, t- tears, tears galore. You know, frogs in throats, all that good stuff. Good, bruv, brilliant PR stuff, bruv. I'm telling have, you, Manchester United, brilliant. Have you, have you man ever seen that where the outgoing coach gets like a, an interview with the club, um, gets to shed some tears, sob a bit, pull on the heartstrings? For what reason I don't know, but like. Have you ever man ever seen that? I don't remember seeing that before. I thought I was I wasn't surprised, but I was quite shocked that they did that. Um, but I wasn't surprised because yeah. it's good publicity for them as well, isn't it? That's it, man. He's he's their darling, isn't it? He, he, he is since 1999. <laughs> um, but um ultimately a man who's sobbing like that can't be in charge of um 
clubs such as such as United. So, what do you man think about that? What do you what do you what do you think about it? Like him, what what what's that about? What do you think that the end goal is for them? Like in doing that, what the interview, the whole process. I'm just thinking because, like, they they waited until now to get kind of this like moved to by Watford basically, and then like the whole dismissal rumours, this kind of thing, Oli talked to the players, you know, and then coming on and doing this interview and, oh yeah, Champions League's coming up, you know, they'll go and do their stuff. Like, what, what do you, what do you man think about all this? What, <laughs> what do you think about this? Because, boy, anyway, let me hold my thoughts and <laughs> let me let you man. <laughs> it's all over the place. I don't know. I, um, I, after the game on Saturday, I said to you, Joe Glazer's gonna gonna sack sack um, Oli um, because he's he's the cutthroat one. But it just seems like to me, like I was saying in the group, that now that Champions League is like Champions League qualification for next season is looking under threat. Forget about even them at Champions League now. The amount of points that they're dropping, the way they're losing, um, they might fall away from actual Champions League qualification, we know that equals money. And I, I I, feel like, because the right time to sack him would have been in during the, what's it called? During the internationals, right? That's usually when you would do it. Um, we'll talk. We'll talk. Uh, and they didn't do it then. Um, and he was like, you know, you know, he comes out, recently he comes out every, you know, press conference is like, yeah, I've talked to the, you know, the board, they're all behind me, it's all good, whatever. Um, with his face, and um, yeah, it's just like he said. We spoke about it here numerous times about him. Mark's obviously been campaigning for him to get sacked from early, um, but it seems like to me the Watford game, something hit struck a chord with the rest of the board members, and I personally think it's like qualification for Champions League next season. Um, they want to make sure that they can they can get that at least because we know that these guys care a lot about the money. Remember um, Ed Woodward saying a couple of years ago to in a in a meeting that Man United can afford to not win win games and still make money, um, but we know that the Champions League is is very important to that. So yeah, I think that's one of the reasons and. And I think one of the reasons why probably he's been there long is that I didn't know until recently that Fergie was on the was on the board as well. I, I knew he was involved in the club, but mm. I didn't know he was actually, you know, part of the decision makers. He's, an, he's a non-exec member. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So I think he's been keeping his boy in there uh, for as long as possible. Um, so, yeah. And then this whole interview, post-interview, I just think it's just... Um, it's just to use a word that you T you use today, performative. Like what? Why? Like do you know what I mean? Mm. What's if he's got a message for the lads? For the lads, like he's got a message for them. He'll tell them themselves. Why does the Man United fans need to see that and whatnot? Uh, I just think that the Man United uh, hierarchy trying to cover their cover their you know their tracks and trying to make it as as nice as possible. Um, but that's not what United need now. They need ruthlessness and they need direction. Um, so let's see.
Yeah, it's nice. A bit mad. Like, I mean, like you said, I mean, they do require the ruthlessness, and you know, they need they need to actually show a strong pair of hands in a situation that's basically just got out of hand. I mean, I, I'm with you guys. I personally believe that, yeah, they, they should have, if they were going to do anything, if they ever considered get rid of Oli, and I know they considered it. We all know they considered it. If there was ever a time to do it, international break, that one week they had off would have been the time to do it. Do it right after they lost away. Who did they lose to before international break? Did they get, they got beat by, was it, no, it wasn't Liverpool. Who was it? No, it wasn't Liverpool. Um, I can't remember now. I remember. Um, or did they win? I think they won. They beat Tottenham, and then after, did they play anyone after they played Tottenham? Oh no! But you know what? That may have been that may have been his saving grace. Mm. Actually, that that may be the reason why he's still in the job. It's mad. I, I actually can't even remember. Obviously, we're not United fans like that. But you know, um, <laughs> it's just crazy. But to be fair, I mean, Jay, we watched the game. Because obviously we watched the, you know, sorry, sorry guys, but we streamed the game, watched the game, and um, yeah, you could just tell this guy's face. Yeah, and Jay said something very, very funny. The the blood in this guy's face looked like it disappeared. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know when you you know when you've got cattle, yeah, and then yeah, you've you've, you've dumped it and then you slit its throat, slit to get graphic, but and you hang it up upside down, you know, what I mean, or goat. On the farm, on the on the farmyard, or in the in the back garden, back home somewhere, <laughs> and it's the blood is just draining out. But his face was just bloodless. Mm. Yeah. He was finished. He was finished. He was finished. And, and you knew, you knew by by the time that I think Watford even got the third, you knew that was done. Jar Pedro scoring that goal, that was it. It was finished. Well, apparently, apparently, actually, he knew his fate at half time or at half time. The, the board had made their decision. Hey. So, yeah, that's what I've seen. Yeah, um, that first offer, that first offer's a madness, bruv. What, you know um, what? Just to come back to it, Man City, that was the game before international break. Ah, that was it. Yeah, I knew they yeah. got packed by someone. You know what? Yeah. It was such a forgetful game that, you know what's even <laughs> mad about that? And I didn't <laughs> clock it because I missed the game, right? City didn't make one sub in that game. Mm. They kept they starting eleven for the whole ninety minutes. I'm sorry if if that's if that's a signal of anything. Pep went on pard. He pard at Old Trafford. He decided not to touch Grealish, Sterling. I think De Bruyne was even on the bench. He decided not to touch these men. Yeah, yeah, that was mad, and that was the game right. that De Bruyne made that comment in it before the game. He was like, "We were training for United," and then Pep told us to stop after ten minutes. There you go. There you go. Because you don't know what United you're going to get. So what's the point? Mad. It's, it's crazy, mad. Bro. Another top side, you know. Another, like, what are we saying? The biggest club in the country, yeah. So, exactly. So on, on that point, actually, so the, the plan is now, or so we've read today, the plan is that they find an interim so they can find time to appoint a permanent manager. When I read that, I was kind of like, what? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you've appointed Carrick. So what is Carrick's role now? What, like, what, what's he doing before you find an interim, then before you find a manager? It's just caretaker, isn't it? It's just doing the usual, just kind of 
winging it, winging it until someone comes in a bit more permanent. But obviously, that bit more permanent is interim anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I think it should be Steve Bruce just for the banner. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> for the culture, bringing another United heads, make it make it come in safe face and that. You know, he, he did be- he did better than a lot. Only did that Cardiff. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, obviously, banner aside, that I, I don't know who they're going to bring in interim manager. I think they're better off if if they're going to stick with Carrick, they're better off just sticking with him for the rest of the season because. Who else are you gonna bring in to sort of send this ship? You know, they try to do the thing is is that they tried to do this with Oli the first time round after mm-hmm. after Mourinho got sacked, you remember? And yeah. then all of a sudden they went on this run and it was like boom, the, the famous Rio one. Yeah, give him the job now, give him everything <laughs> he wants now. Duh, 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 duh. And <laughs> we're here now. Do, do, do you get what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I, I I guess the danger for them is they do the interim thing. Whoever comes in does a madness, goes on a twenty-game run or whatever it is, and orders automatically people are saying, "Oh, I'll give him the job." Um, I, I think the key word here in regards to United is ruthlessness, and they've got to come with. They've actually got to come up with like a bulletproof plan that takes them up to the end of the season. The, the thing is, we're still in November now, mm. which be, which still begs the question: Okay, they've been on a torrid run. This is the worst run they've been on under under Oli. But we're in November. Mm. November. They are um, three points away from Arsenal, who were um, in the top four, but well, just outside the top four. Yeah, fifth. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not. They're not exactly that far off. If Champions League is obviously the threat now, I get it. You know, you're looking at the current run of form and all the rest of it. But I wouldn't have put it past him to turn it around in some way. Maybe get upturned in form during Christmas, all the rest of it, because that's what I that's when I personally would have waited till. Um because mm. I just feel like yo, like after what 12 games now, 12 games since the season, you've got rid of your manager and you've clearly have you clearly don't have a replacement lined up. Because apparently they were never looking at Conte. Apparently, they were never looking at him anyway. Mm. So what's the plan now? Like, what are you man doing? I just mm. feel like right now they're worse off without Oli. Because mm-hmm. now they're stuck with Michael Carrick. Yeah, I think um, just to just that on a, a point on the sacking, I think it was the nature of the nature of the games that they've been losing, or it, even when they haven't lost, the nature of the games when they've drawn. I think Atalanta as well um, in the Champions yeah. League they drew two two. I know Ronaldo did he did his thing, his clutch um, thing, and that was. That was amazing and all, but the nature of the actual game itself um, and the way that the, the, the team is operating had become alarming. Um, but I think really with the Man City one, like we all watched it and everyone's watched it, the Man City one, it was like, um, I don't know, like being at a zoo or some enclosure and the, and the lion is just playing around with this like baby warthog that's so harmless yeah that he can't even be bothered to just stick his teeth in it just yet he's just gonna kind of sit on its tail or <laughs> do you know what i mean like man city were really playing around with 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 city and that was alarming that the, mm. the performance that this team that man united that's had spent a lot of money on a lot of those players come on big money are on big wages um and are nowhere near um 
Man City. And that's been the case with Mourinho at times. That's been the case. Um, but it hadn't been the case with... Like, I think with Oli as well, like, when they played Man City, they'd actually put up a fight. They'd actually won some games. Um, but this time, it was just like... It was nothing to be offered. And then I guess with the Watford game, um, it was kind of the same pattern. Though he um, he brought on Van der Beek and Van der Beek, actually him and Sancho uh, combined quite well uh, when they came on, when Van der Beek came on and they were doing something. But then again, again, you've got a big, a big money player like Maguire, captain as well. Um, shocking, shocking what he did. The Breakdown Podcast. Um, letting the team down. But I think taking this all into account, it become alarming and it didn't look like the team were going to be able to win any game, in my opinion. Um, and probably in the board's opinion as well. Uh, and they'd lost faith in him. But like you guys, like you guys are saying, why... You know, we as we as spectators were able to see that something wasn't quite right at a certain point in this season. Um, why did they wait? Now, obviously, they had just given him he's four months into a new contract, so yeah. that's one thing that we you know you have to take into account. It's going to cost yeah. it, it'll probably cost a lot of money to actually relieve him of his contract. Um, mm. um, they might have still been. There's also the aspect of there might actually still been a section of players that wanted Oli to stay. Um, we saw. At the end of the game, Bruno Fernandes go to the fans and say, "Nah, don't boo the manager. It's us in pointing mm-hmm. at you know him as a player and whatnot." And he also reiterated that um, in post-match interviews that look, we're all in this together. It's not just the manager; it's all of us. So that also shows that maybe some of the players there, you know, are behind Oli um, and wanted him to stay. But that, even the, like I said to Frank on Saturday, in there might be the problem. Why do they want him to stay if he's if he's if he's tactically not up to the level of you know a Klopp, a Pep, um, a Tuchel, even a Conte? Why the why their section of players that want him there? Is it because maybe it's an easy ride and they get their money um, regardless, and you know he gives them an easy ride? He's he's a mate, and that's it. Um, so yeah, it, it essentially it become untenable. Um, you know, uh, and that's, I think that's where he lost the confidence of the majority of the board and, and Fergie couldn't save him for any longer. Mm. Boy, well, on that topic of managers, you you mentioned a few there of some of the managers that some would say are, you know, I, I suppose the top echelon of managers. One of them in particular is our friend, Kofi Brory, your, your, your friend in particular, Mr. Antonio Conte. Yeah. He's back now. Yeah. Spurs. What are we saying about this? Oh, uh, did you catch what, the game? I I didn't catch the game. I caught I caught the commentary and I, I had, you know, Jay sort of sort of you know telling me what was going on and all the rest of it. Um I, I think for starters, I will say, um, as a Chelsea fan, I am a little bit livid that he's even there in the first place. Because I know what this guy is capable of doing, and I'm only I'm only a little bit fortunate in my own sort of feelings that he didn't even have a preseason with these guys. Mm-hmm. So 
um, in terms of how they actually get up, get up and running under him is going to take a bit of time. But I think the one thing that you, you know you're going to get with Antonio Conte is you, you're going to get a team that's committed, whether they like it or not. If they don't start well, yeah, they're going to hear it at half time. And from what I hear, that there was a reaction there, and that's the that's the reason why they were able to turn the game around the way they did. Um, but you're also going to get a team that are going to try and nullify other teams as well. So I think Leeds, and from what I hear, actually had the majority of the ball in the first half as well. Um, you know, and Spurs were playing on the counter and all the rest of it. But I mean, the, the first, I mean, you just see it. You've just seen in the first couple of games that he's been there. You see a bit of a, a bit of a structure. You see a bit of discipline, um, and y- you know what? In a weird way, just just hearing about the way that the team reacted at halftime, you you feel that there's a lot of you feel a sense of real command at the helm. And I'm sorry, United fans, but bro, that, that like that, this is what you guys have been missing. That 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 feeling. You know, you always got the impression that, and I'm sorry, going back to United again, but you always got the feeling that the players, through a moment, through through a, a, an opponent opponent's mistake, were able to feed off that, and then were able to sort of galvanize themselves and turn the game around. Uh, I think with with Conte, yeah, he's he's come in, the the system, you kind of know what he's going to do, and all the rest of it, and yet time will tell, time will really tell um, how they get on, but. I, I, I see them being a danger very, very soon. I really do. I really, really do. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that. It's interesting you, you talk about his philosophy and, and him turning you know Spurs into a danger because during the game, I was, I, was, I was speaking to Jay, actually, and Jay was saying that he didn't like the fact that they came back. I found that quite interesting because I think it was quite a significant comment. But... Um, yeah, bro. Do you want to expand on that? Because I, th- I think there's, there's there's quite a lot in that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Those who those who watched the game, it, the fir- first half and the second half was like night and day. I, I think Leeds didn't even play badly. They actually played quite decent, um, and in particular the first half. Um, I think they were doing you know usual lead stuff, popping the ball about, pressing Spurs, um, and they actually made Spurs. I'd, you know, looked like they were wayside. Um, Spurs looked lethargic. Um, wasn't really getting any anything from them in the first half, and then obviously, eventually, Leeds got their goal. And I was, you know, like, yeah, that's typical Spurs kind of let the man- manager down. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, second half went in. Don't know what he said. Don't know what he did. Don't know what he put in their water. Um, or what he put in their orange slices or whatever it is that they have in the at halftime. But um but they came out and they were a different team and they were a match. They started off being a match for Leeds. Um and then they kept pushing and I don't know, you'd never know what would have happened if if perhaps Leeds had um Bamford and, and Rafinha on the pitch as well. But what was what was important and what you'll see for, what you will hear from Many managers who come into a team like this at this point is it's going to take it's going to take time for them to understand you know what I want from them and the system and the tactics that I want, but it's the reaction and the heart um, and what they put in. Um, and at second half, he definitely you know got what he wanted in terms of heart and effort from the players. Um, 
and they came back 2-1. And, yeah, so that, I made that comment because it's like, that's the kind of game um, maybe 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 not, maybe it's towards the end of this season and next season. Those are the kind of games when you win that like, like that, that you start challenging for stuff, at least. You start challenging for Champions League. You start challenging for trophies. You start challenging for um, the big trophies. Uh, you start challenging the bigger teams because you can have a bad game. You can have a bad first half, um, but change it around. Those kind of, you know, at times, not all the time, but at times you change it around. And and I just think that coming back like that will also, not just for the fans to buy into Conte, because that's what you need. You need, as a new manager, you come in, you want the fans to buy into you and what you're trying to do when we saw Conte you know turn to the fans and tell them to come on let's make some noise let's you know gear them up and they reacted to that but also um for the players themselves any players there that may have been like well let's see how this is gonna go not sure whatever um they will think right okay we got three points there we were losing and now we've got three points the man knows what he's talking about at least and that helped them help him with the players buy into um, what he's trying to sell them, basically, which wasn't the case under Nuno. Um, oh. So because of that, that's what made me think, damn, like, <laughs> if coming back like that and um, ending the game with some of the scenes at the end of the game, the, the, the uh, you know, the, the the coaching staff hugging each other, some of the players on the bench hugging the coaching staff and all of that. There's solid solidarity there now. Um, there's belief in the what the coach is um, trying to prescribe to them. And that's not good <laughs> um, because it's Tottenham. So that's not good, you know. Um, <laughs> and if it carries on that way, um, it's just another... Um, for, as from an Arsenal perspective... Um, actually, from for all of us, but definitely from like Arsenal, probably West Ham, Wolves, whatever, it could be they're not far off, right? Um, I think they're only three points away from from Arsenal, maybe I can't remember the thing. They're only a few points away um, from fifth place. That means that now there's another team that's you know going to be in there for hunting hunting top four. I don't think they've got enough to to challenge for the title. Uh, I think they're Liverpool, City and Chelsea are far away from everyone else. But in terms of top four now, they're in the mix. So, yeah, that's where the comment come from. Um, mm. it's, 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 it was a key win uh, for the hearts and minds. <laughs> yeah. You know, just on that as well. Um, so I was in and amongst it. I was, I was, you know, going about my business and the, the uh, I, I saw the, the, the hundreds of Spurs fans walking towards me. Mm. And, whatnot. and I could see them shouting and they were full of optimism. And, you know, as you mentioned, I saw Conte riding up the fans during the game. And then after the game, he went up to all the players, hugged them, give them a high five, you know, pushing man around, all this is that, that. Obviously, you can see he's brewing something. He's mm-hmm. brewing something there. Um, so I, I, see, I see what you mean, 100%. Yeah. And obviously, that was... Um, the end of the, the weekend's action, but there was a bit of a trajectory in terms of the new managers taking over. So we've seen mm-hmm. Norwich, you know, pick up a victory. We've seen um, Mr. Steven Gerrard pick up a victory at Villa. You know, Gerard. we've seen <laughs> we've seen 
Eddie Howe, even though he he wasn't in attendance, we've seen his side play out, um, you know, entertaining free free draw. You know, there seems to be a bit of a pickup in in results, especially the you know the sides I just mentioned. Their trajectory seem to be on the, I guess on the um, on the downward slope. But you know, results are picking up. What are we saying? Uh, uh, is this is this going to be the new kind of direction? You know, as soon as there's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a negative trend with, with with results. Sorry, is it a thing of yeah, we're chopping and changing, or was it right. the right time for all these clubs? Kind of just coincidentally, all at once. Wait, you know what? We, we speak about the results and all the rest of it, yeah. But but there's one saying here that has always been there's always been around, even before we were all born as well. Um, the new managers bounce. Mm-hmm. So this 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 is still a thing, and this yeah. could still be the thing right now. So for for the question itself, it remains to be seen. However, um, just looking at the way football is now being looked at in the media and just j- general pressures of the game now, it seems as though we are now swiftly moving into that tra- trajectory now, where you have a bad run of form you see the form guide usually it's six games right mm-hmm. if, if if you have a minimum of four reds in that sequence <laughs> you're now in mr danger zone you're now in you're now in that space where it's a bit like yo uh, am i am i going to be receiving this p45 a bit earlier than i expected type thing like i, I need i need to get a move on and it's it's mad because mark mark he called it um you know, with Villa, he looked at it, he just looked at the form, and I'm not going to lie, that I thought, oh, Dean Smith, like, really good season last season. Mm. Yeah, they fell off at the end, but I was thinking, nah, they ain't going to really get rid of him. Who else are they going to bring in? And all the mm. rest of it. And lo and behold, it was the it was the Southampton game, and I watched it, and I thought, yo, okay, yeah, this game, yeah? <laughs> Villa don't look good. <laughs> Villa, Villa don't look good at all. So... I looked at the performance, I thought, yeah, if they get rid, I could understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may feel vindicated because now they've got a win in however, however many games, in their first game with Stevie G. You know, albeit Brighton played really well. You know, Villa were under the cosh for, for a lot of the game, but they got the win at the end of it. You know, and that's what counts. But, and I mean, the same can be said for Norwich and Dean Smith, him going there. Mm. Um, South, Southampton put in a really good showing. They think they went one 0 up, and then you know they they came back from one 0 down. They turned the game around, and all of a sudden they're on a big high. You know they they introduced Gilmore, who apparently had an outstanding game. Mm. Goal figure, you know you you bring on a talent like that. Of course he's going to play well. Um, but again, it just kind of begs the question: what was going what was going on before? Mm-hmm. All these little little things just kind of tell me: okay, cool. We need to wait for a span of five games and revisit it to actually see whether, you know, this is actually the thing and this is actually the way to go. Because um, mate, there are times where you've seen this happen. Managers come in and it just gets worse. It just mm. gets worse. I can't mm. think of anyone off the top of my head right now, but there have been men that have come in and it's made no difference whatsoever. <laughs> I know there's probably a couple of Sunderland managers in that as well. The Dick, Dick Advocate... I, want to play. <laughs> I know he saved man, but then it, it made no it made no difference the following season because they went down anyway. All this sort of stuff. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So, mm. 
yeah, it just remains to be seen, man. But I'm not really with it, if I'm going to be honest with you. Mm. But hey, it, it is what it is, man. The game is a money game now, and people are just worried about their pockets and status and all the rest of it. So they'd have to do what they've got to do. The Breakdown Podcast. Yeah, I guess for you, Franklin, as well. Like, um, obviously, Chelsea have done it multiple times, yeah? Uh-huh. And Chelsea did it last season, and it culminated in a in a Champions League. So, and and I think I think a while ago, maybe it wasn't with you, but um, I looked at like all the win percentages of the Chelsea managers from like from like Mourinho, um. and they're all very high. Like these, some of these guys got sacked really early, um, or like not say really early, like a year or something uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. Um, but their win percentages are really high. Like they're in the high fifties. Low 60s, 60s, some of these, yeah. yeah, high 60s. So I guess there's a there's an argument. I'm not saying it's I'm not I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but I think there's probably for some clubs, there's an argument that maybe that kind of style of administration keeps keeps the club at a certain level. Um but yeah, like you, I'm not I'm not actually a big fan of of sacking managers um willy-nilly. Um but uh, and I think we have to wait and see with the with the managerial appointments we've made now. But I don't know. Do you guys think that because obviously, like for some of these for some of these clubs, the managers have come in, like I said, with even with Conte, and they haven't had really much of a training session or to fully implement their ideas. Uh-huh. And even with even with Arsenal, when Mikel came in, um, it's in the end of the season, he ended up winning the FA Cup. Um, and he hadn't had that much time. We had the obviously COVID as well. He hadn't had that much time with the players to actually implement a system or whatever it is, you know, but got results. Do you think like there's a change in football in general, maybe with the players? I don't know, whereby there needs to be this constant change um, every so often just to keep the playing stuff on their toes. Is it is Is that where we are now? You know what? That's, I'm just throwing it out there. No, you know what? Like, what, when you were saying that, that's actually a question I've never ever considered because I've always thought about the other the other way around, like in mm. terms of maybe chopping and changing the players mm. in order to try and you know keep competition within within the within the squad going and all the rest of it. You know, you'd like to say, oh, you need to add a quality player in in order to make man feel like they're not comfortable and make them train hard on all the rest of it. Maybe mm. it's the same thing with the coaches, and maybe man are getting too comfortable with the coaches. And thinking, oh, they can rest on their laurels and that. You change it up, and then a man are thinking, oh, right, like I've got to try and work my way back into another guy's plans again, and all the rest of it. So maybe, maybe that is a thing, and and it's weird because T, you mentioned another another team, Eddie Howe. I know Eddie Howe wasn't in the stadium, um, but the one thing I will say is the Newcastle game, bro. That they they were very open, and this is the one thing that both of you were saying about Eddie Howe's teams, the structure and the organization not really being present in these teams before and all the rest of it. And it was evident. I mean, you could kind of see already they, they'd worked on a specific way of being able to be a bit more free, being on the front foot and all the rest of it. And and Jay, it's, it kind of pertains to the same sort of point you're making now. Like, I think the players kind of just looked at it and thought, you know, this is a breath of fresh air. We're actually allowed to break beyond 
you know, the halfway line that the centre midfielders are actually allowed to go and press <laughs> the defenders and all the rest of it. Do you get what I'm saying? It's a bit of foreign, it's a bit of a foreign, foreign zone for a lot of these men. You get me? So there's a bit of excitement, all the rest of it. So yeah, I, I, I guess it kind of does lead to a load of a load of motivation, excitement, you know, the morale boost, boost is there and all the rest of it. And I think even that game, you can see that Newcastle actually enjoyed themselves. Did you get what I'm saying? It was a free-free in the end. Defensive mistakes and all the rest of it, they're still there. But from a from an attacking perspective, they enjoyed themselves. And I think what you don't want to do, I think, as as a as an institution, as a football institution, is get used to this thing and just say, yeah, we're going to keep dropping and changing managers. Because at the end of it, before you know it, you have a cycle of managers that are managed have managed five different Premier League teams in the space of like five, six years. And it doesn't look good. Do you get mm. me? When when then they've not there's a reason why they've had to chop and change that much. So yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, because you can even see it in the contracts that are being offered to managers now. I mean, take away like Bayern Munich, you've I have offered Nangelsman five a five year deal. Um they did a lot to get him. But Conte is what on eighteen months mm-hmm. to to who to who got eighteen months after the Champions League win. Mm-hmm. Um, Pep, yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of these managers are getting it's it's both ways as well. Actually, a lot of these managers don't want to commit for too long, and um, likewise as well, the clubs don't want to um, commit too long as well because they they don't want to have the big payouts and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting I'm listening to this because it, it makes me think about the state that the game is in. And when I, mm. I think about, like, I guess, player power now, and it's at its all-time high because if we're looking at coaches being, you know, the most dispensable they've ever been, you've mm. got to look at the players and where this is actually stemming from. And then to the point about um, whether the players need, like, a refresh and stuff, I think it's an excellent point because now as well in society, now we're seeing everyone's attention spans are short. Footballers mm. are, no, are no different. So I can imagine, you know, after after some time, if, you know, there's a couple of murmurs or maybe the system's not really working, people are feeling a bit discontent, let's, let's get a refresh. Mm. Let's, let's, why not? And obviously as well, we can see club structures changing, especially in the Premier League now, it's moving towards more of a European system where you have a hierarchy in place that's the infrastructure and then everything else around it is more dispensable so the coaches for example now which is even a a newish thing for us now right in the premier league i suppose in the grand scheme where there's no more manager talk you know it's more of a coach thing so it's an interesting one Mm. it's a very it's a very interesting one and um just on that topic there was obviously a lot of goals um in, in these games, you know, um, Palace, Burnley, New, Newcastle, Brentford. And we saw the the top teams, the top three. I suppose those guys pulling away again, very impressive results for each of them in different ways. But in particular, um, some of the creativity from the wide plays, the wide positions, ridiculous this weekend. Um, in particular, Reese James, Jao Cancelo, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, we seem to be seeing a bit of a, it's not even a trend anymore, but like, I guess we were talking offline about where the width is coming from with teams and 
think about it now. Now, if there's like you know formations that are more tendering towards three up top, you more have the forwards now who are, who are a lot narrower, playing closer together, looking at combination plays. So then the emphasis is on the players behind them mm-hmm. to, to 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 create the the width and deliver the ball. And some of the play is just ridiculous at the moment. That's that's the best way for me to describe it. Jack Cancelo, that assist, boy. I'm lost for words. I'm not even gonna lie. The audacity was the audacity. You know what? Yeah, all of them. Because Reese James, the goal he scored, who was it against? He he roofed it. It was the Newcastle. Or Newcastle, yeah. 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 It was a disrespectful goal. The way he roofed it, yeah, I was thinking, wow, like <laughs> there's something behind that. And then and Trent, you know, him as well. I'm looking at some of his statistics since 2018, 2019. He's He's the top assist provider in the Premier League by by quite a distance, or like seven or eight assists. Um, you know, he's got 38. And, you know, these guys are just producing week on week, man. Yeah. Um, the, 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 I'd say with, like, particularly um, with, with Trent and Cancelo, these guys are basically, like, they're the new playmakers of these sides now. Um, that playmaker role has gone from... We, we like when we probably started watching football. We we saw the classic number tens. They were the the playmakers in the sides. Yuri Costas and um, Kakas and all these kind of guys. Um, we played the centre of the park and they were like the tens. And then we saw it move to like you know your deep line midfielder, uh, your Pirlo's and whatnot. Who would conduct from from deeper in midfield. And I think now with some of these wing backs slash full backs they're the playmakers like um from even deeper and I think that's that's the case with um Cancelo and and Trent um and some of the passes that they're picking out uh, in some of these games and I think with with Reese James as well like at times this guy's like a wing forward like he's like a natural like wing forward his shot technique um and the way he strikes the ball um, and the, some of the goals he's scoring are taken like a, a forward, um, like he's taking part in the the forwards, the attackers training, and not the <laughs> not the defenders training, you know. So yeah, but let's not forget, right? I even just he even just came to my head as well. Before all of these guys, there was um, Leighton Baines as well. Oh man! <laughs> oh yeah. man! Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know. Um, Leighton Baines was was an anomaly at that time um, for what he's doing, but I think we're seeing it now. Like that's that's this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that like Trent Cancelo and Cancelo. I think um, we've seen obviously they even had um, Fabian Delph at one point as well, and they also had they also have Zivchenko as well doing similar things. But I think with Cancelo, he's just taking it to another level. Um, for them in terms of the playmaking and as you said to like the, the outside of the boot assist for the, that that you call it a half volley for sterling um yeah it's half volley it was it was it was it was fantastic um so yeah it's it's a it's a development that's happened um the, the top clubs um at the forefront of it um i think you have also got other clubs that have are trying um or not yeah, who have similar um 
roles for their talented fullbacks. So I think with Brighton, Tariq Lamptey, um, the freedom that he gets um, when he plays for Brighton, um, and some of the stuff that he's capable of doing, we saw how he turned Jack Grealish inside out um, a bit uh, when they played Man City earlier on um, in this season. Um, I think as well, probably I would add that at some points as well, Mikel was had Tierney as like a main man, like as a main attacking threat mm. for mm. Arsenal as well. Different to um, probably how the, the top three sides do it, um, but he was definitely like an attacking weapon for, for Arsenal. Um, so they are, and Cresswell as well at West Ham as well. Um, uh-huh. He delivers a lot. Uh, for them in terms of assists, so like you said, T, it's not even like a like a secret anymore. It's clear that these managers, um, the good managers in the club, um, in the league, are utilizing um, this 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 development. The breakdown podcast, and it's a bit mad that j- just as you were speaking, I was even thinking about you know the difference between the full backs and win backs of yesteryear to now. Mm-hmm. Like the ju- just in terms of like athleticism and all the rest of it. Like you just think about the the wing backs from back in the day. Um you know Ashley Cole in this era would have been really really good now. Yeah because he had that and that was something that set him apart. And Jay just mentioning Leighton Baines is actually a name that I probably wouldn't have even thought of but mm-hmm. he was massive I mean, he it started it started off at Wigan before him going to Everton anyway, and that's the reason why he got the move to Everton in the first place because of that sort of quality, you know. But for the most part, I can remember the likes of like, you know, Paulo Ferreira, you know, just just mm-hmm. to talk about Chelsea, you know, quite defensive. It was, you know, yeah, don't go past the halfway line, sort of thing. Like, don't don't venture forward too tough. If if you do overlap. Make sure you run back straight away and stay there type thing. Hold your position. And then, you know, your your galaxies. And even as for the Quetta for at one point, you know, these were really defense. They were very much primed on just being really, really solid defensively. You know, like Brandon Stafford, It wasn't ever really like an attacking sort of move. But now the game has changed. And these, these fullbacks and wingbacks are now expected to really bomb forward produce going forward as well as being good when they come back the good coming back is is, 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 is there's room for debate then all the rest of it but what they're producing going forward in particular the three players you just mentioned um, in you know James um, Trent Cancelo you can even throw in Ben Chilwell in there as well he's been putting in some starting performances um, these men are all doing it right now and um, th- this just seems like the way to go it's so good why would you not try and produce more players like this in other teams? You see Tino Livermento trying to do it for Southampton now. Yeah. Did you get what I'm saying? So, like, it, it, this is just a new wave and I, and I don't see it stopping. I just don't see it stopping. So, yeah, man. Um, long may it continue. Yeah, and particularly Chelsea have been <laughs> they're producing a lot of this talent. Lanty. Mm. Liberamento, Reese James, you know, just to pick out a few. Um, these guys are really, really producing on a consistent basis now. Mm. So, yeah, man, I'm sure this is this is a topic that we could probably do a podcast on 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 its own, um, such as the influence 
you know, from, from these wide areas now. Um, and speaking about decisive wide areas, the elephant in the room, Big J, I'm sorry. But we Should have I to exit? talk about it, man. Should, should I leave the room or is it safe? Let's it let's all or... let's let's all mute and let and let and let I know when it comes to game day, yeah, T gets a little get a little bit of grief. Not from me, because I've learned my lesson, but I know he gets a little bit of grief from some of the Arsenal fans. So you can address them now, with it. <laughs> I get a, a lot of grief. The thing is, yeah, I I I'll hold my position. I'm 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 staying neutral and you know, even today, you know, I'm filling in for Marquee. So, you know, there's no bias for me. I'm just speaking objectively, <laughs> you know? But, um, yeah, the wide areas, man. Trent was decisive. Nuno was also decisive in, in a, I guess, a more negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go in, boys, man. Let's, 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 let's do the post-mortem. We're all wearing black today, you know. <laughs> yeah. Boy. Black for, for, for Mikel. <laughs> I'm, I'm keen to see. I'm keen to hear what you guys think actually before before I go. Uh, in that case, you know, being 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 the neutral, you know, um, in in this case, I, I might as well go first. Um, it was an interesting game. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, watching the game, especially in particularly the first half, I kind of looked at it and I looked at Arsenal and I kind of compared their performances to past performances. Um, over over the last few seasons, and I kind of thought, you know what, this is actually a really big improvement in terms of their approach to the game and how they set this stall out. Um, I did the real big issue in hindsight was um, Arteta starting to rock it up with with Klopp on the sidelines because I don't know before that happened, it seemed like the cop were kind of quiet, and then all of a sudden that's happened. You know, there's there's a ruckus on the on the sidelines, and the copper on on now on their feet, and then boom, all of the you know the players have now reacted to that, and now Arsenal's just getting peppered. Their goals just getting like the defensive line is just getting peppered. Mm. I'm talking like they were really struggling, even to find the out ball was a bit mad, and um, ultimately. You know, right at the beginning of the second half, I, I, don't, I don't know how. I think I, don't, I think it was barely ten minutes in. You know, Nuno does brilliantly to win the ball, and then again, I think because of the pressure that Liverpool decided to put Arsenal under, started to try and pin them in. He saw no out ball, and he said, "No, nah, I'm going to play it across, across <laughs> my box." Can, can you imagine the amount of pressure? It's, so, it's made you do something you've been taught since you were a kid not to do. You've completely lost your head to a point where you've gone and played the ball across your box. And I mean, that, that was it. It was game over from then. Um, and ultimately, uh, obviously, Liverpool came out victors and emphatically so. But um, I did see quite a few positives for Arsenal. I know at the end of it, you know, a lot of players probably get fours, threes, twos, and all the rest of it, and player ratings and all the rest of it. But they, they, it, it told me that. You know, the performances that Arsenal put in, the run that they've had, hasn't just been a case of, oh, yeah, they're playing weaker sides and all the rest of it. There is actually an element of confidence there. And I just think they came up against a beast in Liverpool maybe a bit too soon. But Mm. I feel like they needed it. It was one of those ones where they needed it in order to ground them and just let them know that, yeah, they've got to keep going. But then they've got a lot of work to do to improve going forward. So that that was just my personal take on it anyway. But Mm. Liverpool, again... 
I, I can't say any. I can't say too much. I'm just glad they see all those things that were being said about Liverpool last season. The disrespect. Me personally, I didn't say it. The injuries really did, you know, have its have its sort of negative impact on the side. And to see them now with a pretty much full strength team, in Virgil being there and all the rest of it, you can just see what it's just done to them, man. And Liverpool go from strength to strength. So, yeah, yeah. that's that. Mm. It's quite interesting. I think that um, it's quite interesting what you said there, um, Kof. Um, I think a few pods back here, when we were talking about Arsenal versus Aston Villa, I mentioned that it seemed like Arsenal or Mikel or the coaching staff at Arsenal had planned specifically for what they were up against, against Aston Villa and executed mm. it well. And I think that's the case as well here. I, I felt like both teams planned for each other. Um, and I, and you saw that in the first, I would say, half an hour, 40 minutes. The Arsenal were compact, but also the way they were pressing Liverpool was probably the right way to press Liverpool. Um, so they had Lacazette on, um, on Fabinho and this season we've seen that um, and probably towards the end of last season that Liverpool like to, you know, build up play with Fabinho. Um, so Arsenal, um, Mikel had Lacazette, you know, you could see clearly that he had Lacazette to target Fabinho and press him. Um, Aubameyang looked to press Matip and I think Saka looked like he to he looked to press um Virgil. The thing is is that I think Simakas actually was quite key because he if he if he received the ball then he drove at um at Arsenal which forced um Tommy to come out and try and um deal with him. And that then that left Mane with um with Ben White and we saw a couple of skirmishes which led to obviously um uh Mikel's Mikel's outburst. Um I think I think like you said, um Kof, I, you know, up until that point it was, you know, a fairly equal game. I think Liverpool were dominating the ball, but not dominating it in, in a dangerous manner. Um Mikel I was I was totally unimpressed by that. I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if he lost his head, um, but I, I I think that that was obviously like he said that was a wrong thing to do. Klopp's not in his weight class. We've seen Lampard do this as well. Look where that ended him, um, as you know. And after that, that awoke um, the twelfth man at, at the cop. And once the twelfth man were awake, um, it gave extra extra energy to um, to Liverpool. Um, so in the second half, I actually think that Oxley Chamberlain, the last two games, he's been very good, and I think he was he was very good in this one. And I think Liverpool are the, probably the best in the world at counter pressing, and they come in the second half and they just the onslaught was mad. Um, they didn't allow um it didn't allow Arsenal to build up anything whatsoever. Um and you see Oxlade quite quite a few times nick the ball um 
in midfield and and start their attacks quite high up the pitch. Um, so, yeah, I, I think basically to sum up, I think Arsenal did well. They did what they thought was right in terms of playing Liverpool. But um, Liverpool have that extra quality. I think for Arsenal to have scored goals against Liverpool on the weekend, they had to be very precise. And unfortunately, whenever we did have a counter-attack, we chose the wrong option. Um, and because of that, um, Liverpool would get the ball back and it would just be dominance again. Um, and then, yeah, Nuno lost his head. I'm, I'm a bit surprised that when that happened, Mikel didn't necessarily do anything to maybe either to take Nuno off or to something to help sure, sure it up for him. Um, he let Nuno ride that quite a bit. And you could see after he made the first mistake, he kept making more and more mistakes. And I think that maybe he just needed to be taken out of the fire line a bit. Um, but yeah, it was just a it was just a gap in quality. I think um, in the end, um, we have to respect Liverpool um, the quality they have. They have they sh- they showed, I think, against Arsenal that they can win in different ways. It's not just even though Salah was involved, um, they can win in different ways. Um, Yota came in, he parks himself in between the lines, and he creates an issue for for Thomas. Um, at times, and it made Thomas. I think Thomas wasn't fit, but it did make Thomas um, not sure whether to look forward or behind him. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was a good game by by Liverpool. Mm. Yeah, that's it's interesting listening to the both of you there. You know what? I, I watched the game, and before it, I was I was subject to a bit of a uh, feedback from. From the Arsenal contingent, yeah, you know, it's time we're going to come to Anfield, and you know, it's time for us to basically break this this hoodie. Um, and I kind of had that in my head a little bit. You know, I spoke to Jay before the game. We talked about a score draw, perhaps, and I think in my mind, there's a bit of a blueprint. And a different, it's weird. There's a blueprint, but there's different ways to get at Liverpool, and. A good couple of sides have shown that now. That Brentford showed it, um, Brighton showed it, West Ham have showed it, you know. Um, and I expected Arsenal to come and deploy a system where they could exploit basically Liverpool's wide areas and especially having fullbacks at the height that Arsenal have them, Nuno and Tommy. They're two quite tall fullbacks. So I thought, okay, yeah, maybe this is this is how they might exploit Liverpool. Um Watched the game the first time around and I thought, ah, oh, do you know what? Like similar to you, Koko, I thought, you know what? Arsenal showed a bit more resolve than what they have done in the last couple of encounters when they've come to Anfield. And I watched the game again. And that's that's where my comment came from, Jay, earlier. With Jay and I were talking and I was saying Liverpool, like the the the, the way they drilled in terms of pressing is ridiculous. Um but like when I watched the game again, at about half an hour, I think is where the Arteta and Klopp incident happened, right? About half, 30, 35 minutes. And I noticed as well that, like, there was a couple of comments after the game about Liverpool, um, and to your point, Jay, about both sides studying each other. I read that Liverpool, um, in their analysis, they had seen that Arsenal 
start games quickly. First half an hour, like they start games quickly, and and then around that kind of half an hour to ninety minute point, they they sometimes sit back and and sit off teams. The breakdown podcast. So then it made me think, oh, like, obviously the Arteta and Klopp thing obviously riled up the fans, but maybe there was also a part of it where there was a bit of a plan to start at 30 minutes and get at Arsenal and maybe a couple of um, pressing traps and these kind of things would be deployed. When I watched it the second time, I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not going to lie, 4-0 is, is, was not even... I don't want to say flattering, but I think it could have been a lot worse than 4-0. Absolutely. When I when I looked at it, I was quite surprised. But then yeah. the quality of chances and the way that the relentlessness, there was a there was a relentless pressure at a point. And I was looking at the position of Thiago, Fabinho, Oxlade, and those guys are really pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. Positionally, they were really, really good. I think they complemented each other all really well. And before the game, I had my questions about the setup, but you know, it worked perfectly. Um, you know, Mane had an excellent game. Jota had a good game. And the goals that Liverpool scored were all pretty different. Um, but all quite direct at the same time. So for me, when I looked at the game, I felt like it's, it's literally two, two schools of thought. Like first I thought, okay, you know what? Actually, Arsenal did a bit well. Maybe 4-0, mm, yeah, I'm not too sure, like... It's not, it's like that scoreline might be similar to what's happened previously, but it was a very different game. But then when I watched it again, I was like, oh, actually, I'm quite disappointed with Arsenal because I think Liverpool are a bit vulnerable at the moment. There, there's something about them which is not quite right, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And there was an opportunity there. Let's, let, let's have it right. There was an opportunity there. Because sides have come to Anfield, sides have sides have you know been playing Liverpool and shown the vulnerabilities, set pieces especially, and Arsenal scored a lot of goals from set pieces this season. Mm. And um, but I didn't see that exploited. I didn't see set pieces and ball carrying. They're the two things that that really get at Liverpool this season. And um, I didn't see either of those. So yeah, um, comprehensive win in the end for Liverpool, but. I think I was disappointed that Arsenal didn't take the opportunity that was kind of there, especially in the first 30 minutes to kind of, you know, quiet down the cop, you know, really lay lay down the mark and see what Liverpool are up to because there was a few injuries. But, you know what, in the end, um, yeah, the goals were good. Um, Liverpool, looked, they look imperious when you play into their hands like that. So mm. what can we say? Yeah, it's Anfield. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna throw that bar in again. It's Anfield, mm. isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's Anfield for real, for real. So, but um, yeah, it's man. You know the point that you just mentioned about like even ball carrying all the rest of it. I think this is the first game in a while that Emma Smith Rowe has basically been anonymous on the on the field. Mm. It was mad. Mm. I think there was there was even a point in the game very early on. I think this is before Liverpool even scored. I think it may have been even before the Arteta thing, where Emil Smith Rowe got the ball. Yeah. He got the ball outside his penalty box. I think you guys had a corner or whatever it was. And he just booted it. It was like, it was such an aimless ball. It was almost like he looked for respite at any cost because 
you man just really, really started to try and apply the pressure and all the rest of it. And I think, like you said, you know, there was a game plan there. I think at 30 minutes, that's when you guys really, really started. But I have to say, like you said, it was an emphatic win. Um, 4-0 did, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie, it did flatter Liverpool in the end. But that was solely based on just their second half performance alone because Arsenal were in, at, in complete disarray the second half. They got absolutely cooked that second half. Let's, let's, get, that, let's get that right. And um, I think with Arsenal, the old, the old frailties are there still. One mistake happens... And then it's almost like they completely collapse. Like confidence is absolutely shot, you know. Mm. Uh, and I completely agree with Jay. You look at Nuno Tavares. After that mistake, I've never seen him play so erratic. I mean, his second half was was mad, and I expected him to get saved, and he didn't. But you know what? For him, he needs a game like that because that's something you look back at. You have probably have nightmares about. Probably have sleepless nights about. And you know what? It will make him stronger in the end. So, I mean, yeah, it was a resounding win. It was a well-deserved one. Um, Arsenal, sh- you know, showed a real brave first half showing. But ultimately, in the end, they, they just got annihilated by a stronger team. And that was it, man. Um, couldn't do any more. And Bob's mm. your uncle, man. <laughs> yeah. That point there is true, though. There, there, there are a lot of, or there were a lot of debutants or players that haven't played in that environment before. In the mm. Arsenal setup, so they definitely will learn from it because, yeah, you know, Ramsdale, Lukonga, T- mm. Tavares, um, Tomiyasu, White, you know, there's quite a Smith Rowe and maybe even yeah. Saka. There's so that's quite a big chunk of the team, so they definitely will learn from it. They, they have to, yeah, yeah. But there you go, man. Um, yeah, you guys are optimistic. Arsenal. <laughs> 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 we haven't we haven't won at the cop in since 2012 and there's a reason for that in it so and supposedly this should have been because like T mentioned there's quite a lot of injuries in that Liverpool side I mean we've seen midfielder after midfielder player after player like just drop out even the ones that are not necessarily T's faves like Milner and 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 all these kind of guys, um, and then some other ways like faves like Naby, Harvey Elliott. They've had and Curtis Jones. They've had loads of injuries in midfield, um, down to their bare bones, really. Um, and Oxlade obviously has been quite injury prone recently as well. And still they dug out a four 0 And like T said, it could have. I think it could have been worse. There there was one chance in particular Yota had where I think actually he was quite poor in that finish because he shot it straight at um, Ramsdale um, rather than it being a great save and I, I felt I felt like Yota probably I don't know lacked a bit of composure with that I definitely mm-hmm. think there could have been maybe one or two more goals that could have been scored when I mean, look at Arsenal like I said before it was down to like some precise counters that they had um, in the first half. I think there was one where the ball was played into Aubameyang and it was like a three versus two with Saka um, and I can't remember who against Virgil and Thing. And I think all Aubameyang had to do really was slip it around the corner behind Virgil because Virgil was kind of ball watching, but he slipped it a bit wide and it forced Saka wide. And even then, 
I think Saka had a, got the ball into the box, but then he, again, composure, he kind of just smashed it at, at Virgil. Um, so it seemed like if we was going to score at, uh, on 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 the, um, at Anfield, it was going to have to be something mega, like, sick and precise to get past Liverpool. Um, and as T's mentioned, Liverpool are not in their best defensive shape at the moment. So, uh. you know, so I hear what you guys are saying. Obviously, a lot of these players, this is their first time at Anfield, Lokonga. Um, I think Lok- I felt like Lokonga didn't have a good game. I think he was quite slow to react in some instances um, uh-huh. to help Thomas. I feel like as well in the second half, Gabriel probably didn't have his best game either. Um, and like you said, these guys are young. But some of the themes that we're talking about aren't young themes. They're, they're themes that have been there under Emery. They've been there under Wenger. As I said, we haven't won this since 2012. So I'm not as positive about going to <laughs> about playing Liverpool as, as before. But let's see. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. I think that sums it up nicely. Mm-hmm. Let's see how Arsenal bounce back or not bounce back. Boy. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 will, it will be telling, isn't it? The next game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that will be telling about. Because if it's if they if they win the next game convincingly, then we can put it down to okay, they were just they yeah. weren't in the weight class of um of Liverpool, but they can still go on collecting points. But if they lose the next game or if they, they don't perform the next game, then questions. Questions, questions will come back. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred. And that's a wrap. See you guys next week. As always. Peace, man. Absolutely. Peace.